Have you ever, have you ever thought to yourself that maybe God was mad at you because you didn't do enough, you didn't read enough, you didn't pray enough? Have you ever had a difficulty come into your life and thought, well, maybe God's paying me back for my sin? Oh, I know we've had those thoughts. Sometimes we do. And we project onto God things that we project on others and ourselves often. And I think that's an extreme way of thinking. But the other extreme is, have you ever thought, well, God doesn't care how I live? He's disinterested in that. He, he's, he doesn't care how I live. Both of those extremes would be symptoms of the potential of an unhealthy faith. And, you know, we, if you get sick or you don't feel good, you call the doctor, you go to the doctor, and they ask for your symptoms, right? What are you feeling? And a, the, the job of a doctor is to, in a positive way, judge our health. When you go to the doctor, the doctor's job is to say, diagnose you and, and judge, judge your health. And God wants us, in his good judgments, to help us in our faith and show us maybe where we have symptoms of a potential unhealthy faith that could lead us down you know, the wrong road. And when it comes to Jesus, he's no hypocrite. He always practices what he preaches. I remember going to the doctor years ago, 20-something years ago, and my doctor was like, you know, smoking and telling me, well, you, you could lose some weight and you could do this, you know, and he's like, yeah, you need to work on these things. And I thought, oh, man, easy going to you. You're not physically fit and you got habits and you make me feel better about myself. Thank you. Jesus is no, no hypocrite. He practices whatever he asks of us, he's already done himself. And whatever he asks of us is always good for us. God wants us to have a healthy spiritual life. We're in a series that we started at the beginning of the year called Living by Faith. And we felt drawn to look at the subject of faith in the scriptures so that we as individuals and we as a church community could be move into this year with, with more faith, more hope, more belief, more trust in what God has for us. So today we're going to talk about healthy faith. And, and I wrote myself a little note here. Please pray for me and anybody that stands up here and teaches the word or teaches the word in any capacity. Because I recognize, you know, the influence that somebody has when they teach. doesn't matter if they have a big ministry, TV, radio, podcast, whatever. Pray for people that teach the word. Because I, I hear this sometimes from people. They say, well, pastors, teachers are, are called to a higher standard. I don't believe that. Anybody that names the name of Christ is called to the standard of Christ. He is the standard for us all. But in, in fear and trepidation, there is a higher accountability. There is a responsibility in opening this word and, and influencing people's life. So I ask you as my family, please keep me and anyone that, that teaches in your prayers. So Paul, the apostle who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, started churches, was, was Jesus's first real gospel spreader beyond Jerusalem and, and Judea and into the uttermost parts of the earth. He had a, a protege named Timothy. 
And two of the letters that, that we have in the, in the New Testament, he wrote to, Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy was a, a pastor. Paul had raised him up. And Timothy, most scholars think that the church at Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor, might have had 40,000 people in it. The first true megachurch, right? 40,000 people, that's a lot. And so Paul writes him to encourage him and give him some instructions about how to, how to lead. And he says this, he says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. And what I hear from that is what we believe matters. What we teach matters. Beliefs have consequences, good or bad. And when you're talking the subject of a healthy faith, I'm going to talk a bit about unhealthy faith because we have all are, are going to be at some point in time subject to influences that might be trying to give us an unhealthy approach to faith. And I was thinking about just this week, if somebody only comes to church and that's your only time of, of spiritual growth or your only means, that's about an hour and 15 minutes out of a week that has how many other hours in it where we're getting messages left and right from the news, social media, every angle possible. Someone is trying to influence you and I, always. So we need to be aware of that. We need to watch, what am I believing? What am I believing wrong about God, others, myself, this life? And I think God wants to give us a healthy faith. I was reading, I think it was the Christian Post said, did a a survey of people who called themselves Christians. And within the survey, uh, about 30 to 40% were evangelical Christians. Um, And like the questions they were asking, like, is Jesus God? And 52% of the people polled said that, no, Jesus wasn't God. He was, he was just a, a good man, a teacher created by God. Well, that belief right there has some serious consequences. Because when you read the New Testament, when you read the Gospels, when you read how Jesus saw himself you're going to miss it if he's just a, a man or a teacher or created. No, Jesus is God. He's part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And to, to understand the person and work of Jesus is to elevate him. And then that's why you know, he's the creator and sustainer of all things, not a mere man. So be- beliefs have consequences. As to think people who are Christians believe that when how, what the scriptures have to say about Jesus, that's that's a pretty big disconnect there. There were other things like the Holy Spirit isn't a person but a force. And there were other things that I just was kind of baffled at of the basics of the faith that people didn't believe or understand that made me realize we got we got work to do in our own personal growth and not leaving it up to a pastor or a teacher, but to learn to grow ourselves and to feed ourselves. So I'm going to take some time and talk, first of all, about several sources of unhealthy faith. What are the, the things that, that create an unhealthy faith in people? And we all have it. We all have something in what we're believing 
that's some sort of error, and, and that's inevitable because we're imperfect, following the perfect. We know in part and see in part. But our pursuit is, Lord, I want to know you. I've been on a, on a journey for the last three years where I want to know how to read the Bible better. You might laugh, well, you're the pastor, teacher. But I do. I'm always wanting to interpret Scripture better so that I know God better. I don't want to win an argument. I don't want to be right in a, in a conversation. I want to think right about God. And I pray that's for all of us, that learning what we think about God is so important to, to our lives. So the first source of unhealthy faith is false teachers, false teaching. If you're taking notes there, false teachers. And what false teachers do is they twist Scripture. They, they teach the Bible. How many know you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say and, and, and come up with all kinds of, of reasons behind it? And the, the Apostle Paul and Jesus both talked about false teachers, to be aware of false teaching, that it was inevitable. The Apostle Paul, whenever he would start a church somewhere, he would stay with the, the people for um, a couple years at times. And he would always warn them, listen, when I leave, there's going to be false teachers that come in behind me and try to twist everything that I've just discipled you in. But when you read about the life of the Apostle Paul, he can be trusted. He spent three years with Jesus where Jesus just downloaded the gospel and the mysteries of Scripture and connecting the dots of, of the Old Testament and all of that. Jesus downloads this to the Apostle Paul, and so he's been given this task to teach. And he told the leaders at the church at Ephesus, he said, so guard yourselves and God's people. Find, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw, uh, draw, your own, draw your, their own following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and many tears for you. Now, it's easy for your mind when we talk about false teaching to start thinking about somebody else that maybe oh, that person's false or this group's false teaching, and I understand that. But when we, when we think, of, um, think of this subject, we've got to look at our own hearts first, you know, before we're pointing the finger in that. And it can also be when somebody is in the position that I'm in to talk about false teaching, oh, he thinks he knows everything and he's going to, that's not the position I'm coming from. I'm coming from the reality that they're a source of unhealthy faith is false teaching. And we have to, we have to realize that we have to be on guard against that. I, in my 30 years of walking with Jesus and 25-something years of ministry, I've seen a lot of people get shipwrecked in their faith because of false teaching, and they went down the wrong road. I, I remember meeting a guy years ago who was a pastor, and he shared that he had started buying into the health and wealth gospel. The, the health and wealth gospel that you, every time you pray that you'll always be healed, you'll never get sick, and um, 
when you walk the Christian principles, you're going to have money and stuff and all of that. Now, when it comes to that, of course, we pray for healing and we ask God for health. And does God want us to prosper and be blessed? Yes. But there's an extreme when it comes to misrepresenting what's presented in the life of Jesus and how he lived and how he taught. Well, this pastor believed this. He taught it. And when the wealth part wasn't happening in his life at the speed he wanted it to, his false teaching, his beliefs led him to begin to, begin to embezzle money from his church so he could get a nicer car, nicer this. And he did this for a while. And the Lord convicted him. And he repented. And he told his church, here's what I've been doing. Whatever consequences you think are appropriate, I will take it. That was the true, true sign of his repentance. Whatever consequences you think, I, I support. Well, they forgave him, and he, he changed and paid back and all kinds of stuff. And so there was a real change that happened in his, his life to even to be able to share that. But that's the reality. False teaching shipwrecks us and, and can make people do you know, all kinds of crazy things. The second source of unhealthy teaching, uh, unhealthy faith, is dogmatic teaching that goes beyond the essential truths of the faith. You can get into these dogmatic teaching that goes beyond essential truth. When you think of essential truth, and we talk about this a lot at Novation, we want to elevate the essentials of the faith because the essentials of the faith unite all believers, past, present, and future. The, the, the things that are essential in Scripture. There are secondary, important things that we can discuss, we can debate, but we don't want to let those things ever cause us to divide or have divisions. So what are the essential truths of the faith? Well, I would say, we would say it's go to the Apostles' Creed. When you go to the Apostles' Creed, which was not written by the Apostles, but a few hundred years after the Apostles, by the church fathers, they put together the Apostles' Creed as a summary of the Apostles' teaching. And so that's actually our doctrine statement here at Novation, is the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's the most important things. Essential one, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's essential. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? Born of the Virgin Mary. Essential truth that we understand those things. That he suffered under Pontius Pilate. That he died and was buried. Died for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again. Essential. The resurrection is the hinge upon which our faith we hold to. He ascended to the Father. He's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the life everlasting. Some of you are having some flashbacks from your previous life, but the, the Apostles' Creed is a brilliant thing that says, this is what we believe. Let's, let's talk about anything else. This what is what unites all of us. Back in the early church, when someone was baptized, before they were baptized, they would recite the Apostles' Creed. And they say, yes, I, I believe that. 
So it's important to not make a, a gray area in Scripture a black and white thing. Because when you do that, we're going to make the mistake and we end up doing what we call eisegesis, which is you isolate one verse of Scripture versus reading it in its context within the chapter, the book, in the, the whole scope of the, script, of the Bible itself. Here's an example of that. In a couple hundred years ago, there were people who used the New Testament to say that slavery was okay. How did they deduce that? Well, the Apostle Paul talks in his letters and tells slaves, here's, here's how you should work. And slave owners, here's how you should treat your slaves and so forth. And they were saying, see, see, Paul says it's okay for us to have slaves. That's taking something way out of context, taking, making a dogmatic teaching that doesn't go with the essentials of the truth, of truth, the essential truths. Slavery in the Bible days were more of, instead of declaring bankruptcy, you would work off your debt. And so you, that's how you paid back. And often and people did that on their own. They weren't taken against their will. You'll never find anything where God says, take somebody against their will and make them your slave. We know in the character and goodness of Jesus that that's, you know, we should be able to see that. But they took the scripture out of context there. So again, Paul tells Timothy, he says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You remember when 1999 went to the year 2000? How many are old enough to remember that? I didn't know I was going to get laughter, but more, more, just kidding. Um, remember the Y2K scare? And you had Christian teachers on TV selling Y2K survival kits, making loads of money over and over because when the clock struck midnight, going from 1999 to 2000, the whole world was going to go into chaos. And so you had to have the survival kit. Well, when it didn't happen, I didn't hear about anybody refunding anybody's money for the Y2K survival kits. And it's, it's a black eye. When we start making something, this is it. How many times has Harold Camping said that Jesus is going to return on this day? After a while, people are like, yeah, number one, no one knows the day or the hour. But number two, stop. <laughs> you don't know. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul is correcting some divisions that are going on in the church they're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus. And he's, he's correcting them. And he says, learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. I love that. <laughs> Don't go beyond what's written. Don't add to this. Don't try to take away. Let's deal with what, what, what is written. When you build a community, when you're trying to build a church on dogmatic things, secondary issues that we make a primary thing, we create a little circle that says who's in and who's out. If you believe like us, then, you, then you're in. If you don't, you're out. And it's so unhealthy and toxic in this, it creates a spiritual pride 
That's, that's unhealthy to think, well, I'm, I'm in charge of who's in and who's out by these, if you believe these secondary things. It's important that we understand that, that we, we're trying to build a church on shared brokenness because every human being is broken. If you've been walking with Jesus for 60 years or you're still trying to figure this out, guess what? We have, everybody has the same thing in common. We're broken and in need of grace every day, every moment. That levels the whole playing field and doesn't say who's in or who's out. It's a calling each other to healing and to follow Jesus in his gospel. I think sometimes the word legalism gets thrown around a lot, but, and it needs to be defined. Legalism, by its very definition, is usually some sort of dogmatic thing that's a secondary issue that you make it this thing, a criteria of fellowship, or again, who's in, who's out, are you a real Christian or not? And I remember I taught Bible at a Christian school years ago, and I remember asking the kids, I said, what, what don't you like about this school? Oh, this school's so legalistic. I said, really, why? What, do you, what makes it legalistic? They won't let us chew gum. And I said, okay, um, that, why does that make them legalistic? Too many rules. And I said, I remember saying, well, do they tell you that people who don't chew gum are better Christians or more holy than those who chew gum? No, they don't say that. I said, well, then that, that's not legalism. They're trying to protect their carpet and their desks and their furniture from you putting your gum there. That's, that's not legalism. But if legalism is, is commanding something from somebody, a fellow believer which we should never command from someone who doesn't claim to be a believer. That's where we get in trouble often. Paul even talks about that. But it's commanding something from a fellow believer that Scripture doesn't. When we do that, that's when we become legalistic towards each other. We're legalistic towards God when we think what we do and don't do merits His favor and forgiveness. And so we want to avoid that. There's parts of the world where in Eastern Europe, where Christians don't drink coffee because it's not holy to drink coffee. And you will go, well, why? I love coffee. Well, they don't even know why. But if you trace its roots back, it's because coffee was a Muslim drink. And so to drink coffee was to copy the Muslims hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They drink beer and alcohol and have no problem. You flip, flip cultures, right? We drink coffee like it's going out of style, but sometimes people freak out about you know, whether a Christian should drink alcohol or not. Legalism at its finest, unhealthy, an unhealthy source of, of unhealthy faith. Third thing, source of unhealthy faith is religion instead of relationship. Religion instead of relationship. Religion reduces the gospel to a set of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. That's, that's religion. It's rituals and, and do's and don'ts. Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He didn't come to make you and I religious. He came to bring us into his relationship with his father, that we would be connected to the father through the son, by the spirit. That's what he came to do, not create a religion. There's a, a time where Jesus is talking with um, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Matthew. And he's given them a pretty stern talking about their wrong approach to understanding 
God and the Father. And there's a crowd of people listening to him. And he turns the conversation to them and he says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. The gospel is not about what we do. It's about what's been done for us. Fourth source of unhealthy faith is a hard one, but it's unloving churches and unloving Christians. It's sad but true. How many non-believers despise believers because of Christians and the way Christians treat them. I know a guy in Israel. Um, have I told you I went to Israel? Uh, I did. And we're talking with this guy, and he said um, that he studied, the, he's Jewish, he you know, doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, and when I really pressed him on it, it wasn't theology. It was growing up, the Christians in his neighborhood in Canada uh, would pick on him and call him Jew and this and that. So Christians were the reason that he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. That's sad. Gandhi, I don't know, you guys probably know this, but Gandhi, the famous uh, religious leader, he read the Gospels and he really was intrigued by Jesus and what he did and said. And he went to a church and he went to hang out with Christians. And his conclusion was, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. And it's like, ah, man, that's heartbreaking. But we do have that power in how we, how we live. Jesus told his disciples, he said, the world will know that you're mine. You will prove that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. How we love and, and care is the mark of, of a Christian. It's the mark of a follower of Jesus is not how eloquently we pray or how much we go to church or how much Bible we know. At the end of the day, it's do we walk in love? Do we walk in love towards one another? We are imperfect people who love imperfectly, but we're loved perfectly. Therefore, we're practicing to learn, learn, practicing to love better. And that's what he wants from us. Unbelief, usually someone who says no to Jesus, it's usually they've never really encountered the real Jesus because when you do, you're like, he's the greatest ever, right? He is, he is amazing. And we have to give grace to each other and yet also challenge each other to become more loving. Fifth source of unhealthy faith is when we experience suffering. Suffering can cause unhealthy faith because it can give us a wrong view of God. We think, well, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this health crisis. If God was really good, he wouldn't have let this happen. We, we put on God things that, that we shouldn't be blaming God for. And we get it. Suffering causes us to... We, we want heaven to be here on earth. We've all been duped. This is it. And it's not. We're going to die and go to heaven is what's going to happen or he's going to return. This isn't heaven. We are 
strangers in a strange land passing through. And the more we recognize that, the more we walk in, in reality when it comes to pain and suffering. I love the candidness of Jesus. He told his disciples, he said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will, not you might, but you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. He's honest. Listen, life is going to bring sorrows and trials to you. But take courage. I'm with you. I'm in the fire. Just like the song said, I am with you. Be encouraged. I've done everything that needed to be done to defeat sin, death, and the evil one. And eternal life is your hope. And, and, and he's promised that. That's how he overcame. And then the last source of unhealthy faith is what I would say a different Jesus and a different gospel. A different Jesus and a different gospel. A different understanding of Jesus than the, what we see in the gospels and revealed in the, the understanding of the apostles and how they taught about who the person and work of Jesus is. In other faiths, other religions, cults, whatever, there's always another Jesus. And there's always another leader. There's often another book. And there's often just, which creates another gospel. And the gospel is beautiful. And sometimes we mar it up with stuff where it's, we, we, we cover up and we veil the beauty of the gospel with law and rules and rituals and not love and all kinds of things. But the gospel in its purest form is beautiful and it's life-changing. That's why I think it's important to always go, go back to the apostles' view of Jesus because they were eyewitnesses. They walked with Jesus. They saw him do miracles. They saw him die. They saw him after he was resurrected. They saw him go back to the Father. That's what changed the whole world. They, they knew what they had, had witnessed, and now they bore witness to the world, and we're still doing that today. When it, the Apostle Paul kind of rebukes the, the Corinthian church, they get in trouble a lot. If you've ever read <laughs> Corinthians, they're, 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 they get a little bit here. But he tells them, he says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you received. When I think of the extremes of a different Jesus and a different gospel, I think there's the first extreme would be what I would call legalistic Jesus. And legalistic Jesus, he's, he's mad at you all the time because you can't live up to his rules. You can't live up. He's the taskmaster. This is an extreme view that pe people can have. It's unhealthy. He's the taskmaster. And he's, when you read his, his warnings in Scripture, you see him rebuking the disciples. You're like, oh, man, it's me. I'm terrible. Blah, blah, blah. And, and you have, it's easy to go down that road. The other extreme is what I would call light Jesus. Um, light Jesus is he doesn't really care. He's just live how you want to live. And I'm the loving Jesus, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Both of those extremes are wrong. You know why? Because both remove Jesus from who he, he really is. And, and if you see legalistic Jesus, and you're trying to do, 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 and don't, 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 he's not even in the picture. 
You're not learning from him. You're just following rules. And it's dangerous to live like, you know, it's dangerous to live like you don't need him. The other extreme in the light Jesus is living like I don't need him too. So the balance is he's the Lord Jesus. And he's the loving Lord Jesus who always has your best interest at heart. If Jesus tells us to do something or not to do something, it's because he loves us and wants us to live the abundant life that he's promised. And we have to take that and understand it and apply it. So let's go through and shift gears for a minute on the characteristics of healthy faith. I spent the majority of the time on purpose on the unhealthy because I felt that 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 needed to lay a groundwork for, for this. First of all, a healthy faith begins and ends with Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. Galatians 2.20 says that if righteousness or right standing with God could be attained through law-keeping or rule-keeping, then Christ died in vain. And what he's saying is the fact that Jesus died for us proves that there's no other way to be right with God than coming through Jesus. Rule-keeping and lists, you know, don't, don't do that. And if you're like me, you found out, I'm not good at that to start with anyway. I need relationships. So Jesus plus something is going to equal an unhealthy faith. Jesus plus nothing is healthy faith. We cannot add nor subtract from the person and work of Jesus. You can't, your failures, your whatever, nothing, you can't change him. And so it's Jesus plus nothing. So trusting in Jesus doesn't cost us anything. We give him our faith. It cost him everything. But trusting him doesn't cost us anything. Second characteristic of healthy faith is a healthy faith produces full devotion and discipleship unto Jesus. My faith, my belief, the automatic byproduct should be, Lord, who you are and what you've done, I want to give you my full devotion. I'm, I'm imperfect and I fail, but full devotion is not outward, it's a starting place of our hearts is what that means. And discipleship is, I want to follow you. I want to put into practice what you say to do and not to do. So trusting in Jesus doesn't cost us anything, but following Jesus, it's going to cost us everything. Jesus said that. I I didn't invent that. He said, "If if you want to find your life, you first got to lose it. You got to give me your life. And I'll give you back real life. So it costs our, my self-approach to life, my self-centeredness, my agenda, my plans. I die to that. Say, Lord, here's, here's my life. Here's an empty piece of paper. You write on it what you want to do with my life. That's that, your agenda. That's a healthy faith. That's hard to do. I get it. We live in a, a me-centered world and we get influenced by it. I get influenced by it. We don't realize when we're sometimes being very self-focused. The third characteristic of a healthy faith is a healthy faith is a growing faith. It's a growing faith. Any relationship takes time and talking to build. You you could sit by each other forever, but if you don't talk, you're not going to grow. So being in someone's presence, but also talking. 
Now, God talks to us through the scriptures, through one another, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and we have been given the gift of prayer to talk to him and to, to, to grow in that. And so God, God has given, given us that. So growing in Jesus takes time and discipline. It takes time and discipline. Remember that. But that's the whole, the, the disciplines of reading scripture and prayer are not a, a list to check off or means to relationship. Fourth, a healthy faith is lived in community. We talk about this a lot. Living in community is how we grow. God didn't leave walking with Jesus to, to just be an individual thing. It's, it's a team sport. It's a team thing that we really all do together. So living for Jesus is never done in isolation. It's never done in isolation. That's a recipe for unhealthy faith is to try to do this on your own. We come together on Sundays, home groups, core groups, men's, women's, so that we can encourage one another. We need that. And then lastly, a healthy faith is a shared faith. Paul told this guy named Philemon, he said, I pray you be active in sharing your faith so that you'll know all the good things you have in Christ. So when we share our faith, we demonstrate it or we proclaim it, we're growing ourselves. We're growing in our own confidence in, in the gospel and in Jesus himself. So we always share what we're devoted to. Today's our anniversary, Janelle and I's anniversary. It's the first thing I did, Facebook, boom, yeah. The, uh, other than following Jesus, the greatest decision of my life was to marry her. And so I'm glad she said yes, and she still does. But I'm proud. We post things on Facebook of our kids. Some people post what they're eating or they cooked or whatever. That's cool. Or your sports team or, or whatever. You post whatever you're devoted to. You post what, you, what you're proud of. Well, Jesus is everything, and people need to hear about him. And one of the things all of us can do is invite people to church, invite people to get-togethers, invite people to events so that people get to hang out and realize that Christians aren't a bunch of weirdos, that we're actually imperfect people who are following the perfect Savior and that we recognize we need Him. So this morning, as a response to this, we're going to take communion together and I want to remind you what the gospel is. The gospel is nothing that we do, and we don't add to it. The gospel is simply news, good, great news, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in the plan of the Father, came into this world as a human. He took on flesh entered into our broken world, into our brokenness. And he went into there, and by his life, death, and resurrection, he defeated our three enemies. The enemy of sin, he nailed it to the cross. The enemy of the evil one, he, he unplugged the power of the powers and principalities and rulers of darkness by his death and resurrection. And then he defeated death by submitting to death and rising from the grave. He abolished death, the apostle Paul says. So death for, for believers becomes this doorway 
simply. It's not something we have to fear. It's, it's actually going to, uh, we're going to go into the presence of God when we die. And I get it when you talk about death. It's like, yeah, you know, I believe. Should I feel guilty that I'm afraid I'm going to die? No, that's very human. <laughs> like Woody Allen, the comedian, he said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> that's all of us, right? There's nothing. Don't beat yourself for that. Jesus defeated your enemies. He's victorious on our behalf. So we're going to sing while we get the communion elements. Um, if you want to come and grab, we got... Is that me? Should I do it again? Okay. Whatever, I'll stand over here. Um, on the far end, we have the no-touch. You got the juice and the cracker together. Then you got the juice. You got bread. We got gluten-free for gluten-free folks. So we've covered all our bases. Why don't you come and grab the communion elements, bring them back to your seat, and we're going to sing this song, and we'll take it together as a family at the end.
On the night Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was going to go to the cross, he was with his disciples. And he spent, when you read the Gospel of John, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, John gives a huge thing of all that happened. The other Gospels don't give as much detail, but that's where Jesus said so many truths to his disciples about who he was and, and what, how he wanted them to live and, the, and that he was going to send the Holy Spirit and that he was going to transform the world through what he was about to do. And, and, and they didn't get it. That's the funny part. When you read, they didn't get it in the moment. Peter, they walked with Jesus. They heard him say 20 times, listen, I'm going to have to go and suffer at the hands of sinful men but I'm going to rise on the third day. When he was with his disciples on that night, he, he had washed their feet. He took the time to take the role of a servant and washed their feet and cared for them. And he said, this is the example I've given to you, to love how you love as I have loved you, love one another. And as we take this bread and juice this morning, let's let it transform us. This is healthy faith right here. Believing and trusting in the person of Jesus and what he did for us. And you build your life on that, then everything else, you work your way backwards from there. And that's his calling to us as his people, as his disciples. So on that night, he took bread and he broke it. And he lifted it to heaven and he gave thanks. And he told his disciples, he said, this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. After dinner, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and blessed it. He told the disciples, he said, this cup represents my blood which establishes the new covenant. The new covenant that is going to be the sacrifice of all sacrifices to end sacrifices. The all-sufficient sacrifice, the, the thing that was type and shadow throughout the Old Testament was about to be fulfilled in what he was doing as our sacrificial lamb laid down his life and shed his blood. We have forgiveness. We have new life. We have hope because of him. May God bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you his peace this day and forevermore. May we as a community walk in the gospel, walk in the, in the goodness of our God.
may we have a deeper understanding of that, each one of us, and a full devotion to our Lord and Savior to follow him wherever he leads, follow him in his ways. May you be blessed with a greater understanding. May you be blessed with a greater awareness this week of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And may all of our hearts just be stirred with joy and peace that's found in Jesus. In his name, amen.